thought we might continue discussing the subject of the body today, as we started last Sunday. The uh, song that Dr. John sang and that uh, and the reading from the Course in Miracles reminds us of the purpose of discussing a subject like this. That doesn't mean that it's a hateful thing, that you need to punish it. It simply means that as long as we are preoccupied with that part of us, that fantasy of us, which seems separate, there is no room in our mind to know oneness, to know love, to know joining and gentleness and tenderness. There's no room in our heart to feel cared for. But in your heart, you know that you wish to feel cared for and loved. In your heart, you know you wish to see your brothers and sisters as totally and completely pure and innocent. It's no fun to see people as different, bad, needing correction, needing a comeuppance. And so in order for us to reach this simple goal, to recognize what already is, not to somehow establish some weird truth, this weird truth of oneness, which seems so insane. How are we going to get all, how are we going to get all these people together? Of course, we aren't going to get all the people together in the sense of separate bodies. But just a slight shift and glance will show you that we are already together. We are already each other's brother and sister. There's already a deep, deep bond between you and your parents, between you and your child, between you and your boss and your friend. It cannot be seen on a bodily level. But unless we lift our gaze from this preoccupation of this lonely figure that walks the earth, having to do it all by itself, subject to merciless laws of deterioration, accident, being singled out by this disease and that, as long as our mind is preoccupied with that, if that's all our vision holds, what chance is there during that state to sense truth, to sense reality, to know peace? And so that's why we talk about the body. To make it disappear. To make it so calm and so peaceful to feel so good, not in the sense that it has some sort of buzz, but just that it feels so comfortable. It's so peaceful in the way it walks and talks and dresses and goes about its business that it disappears as a preoccupation from our mind. Now, in order for that to happen, we must stop running away from what we ourselves created. You cannot separate yourself from your body. You made it. 
And so the first thing you must do is look at it and see how innocent it is. And this is difficult. This takes a degree of honesty that most people are not used to exercising. And that's why I suggested last time that that perhaps you begin just by standing before a mirror and seeing yourself as you are without nostalgia for the old days. (laughs) Now, if you stand there and you say, oh, my neck is too short, or I have pouches on my hips, or I have, there's something sagging. People, there's always something sagging. This is, (laughs) this is a progressive condition. (laughs) This is nothing to be concerned about. I once dated a woman who was concerned about her elbows. Her elbows were too rough. She spent a lot of time putting cream on her elbows. Now, if you stand there and look in the mirror and say, oh, the bone structure is not right or this or that. Or you're caught up in the present insanity of how thin everybody has to be. Or how much hair everybody has to have. Glorious hair. Or whatever else it is. It'll change in six months. But if you sit there... And all you can do is see how you fail some whimsical, current fad of appearance. You cannot see your body. The only way you can see your body and know what to do is to look at it without judgment. And so last time I suggested that you look at your body the way someone who truly loves you would look at it. Now maybe this will take a few seconds or a minute or so to sort of shed all the judgments, all the worries. Should I have this done or that done? And just look at your body and see it. And then Feel it. Take its inventory. What problems does it have? Look at it as if it were someone you dearly loved. This is all right. This is not metaphysical absolute truth, but it's certainly better than condemnation. (coughs) And so you made your body. So love your body, not love it in, in some way in which you compare yourselves to other people and tell your tell yourself what attributes you have that others do not. Not that you make yourself seem special in your own eyes. That's such a hard and bitter attitude. And it lasts such a short time. But just to look at your body with care. This is what I made. And so let me see if it can't be a friend instead of a plague To a uh, told uh, told us uh, about an old Yiddish saying: "Have faith in God, but tie up your camel." (laughs) (laughs) 
faith in God, but tie up your camel. Now, that's what we're doing with the body. You want to, you want your body to be in abeyance. You want it to be calm. You want your camel to be tied up, peaceful, eating a little grass, has a little water to drink. You go over and pet it every once in a while. But it's not running around getting in trouble. What happens so often is that we fall into this trap of ego extremes. God is in the present. There's no way the ego can enter the present. The ego is only in the past or in the future. That is its time because that time is fictional. It never stops being now, although we think, we, we, we have our mental processes as if the past is the only thing that's real about us. And therefore, we must feed the past, change the past by what we will do with the future. So the past is never what we want it to be, and therefore we need a future to feed into it. And this is what goes on all day long, jumping from the past to the future, past the future, in our mind. And this is what the ego does in everything that it does. It goes from one extreme to the other, but it never takes the middle, grow, middle road. It never looks at now and sees the reality of God. What is at hand? The kingdom of God is at hand. It never looks at that. And so it takes everything to an extreme. Yes, it looks at its own world, and it sees the faults, and then it goes to the other extreme. And so, perhaps someone sees that it's not a happy thing to eat animals. But then the ego goes to an extreme and says, there's something malicious about all animal protein. And so then even breast milk becomes questionable because it contains animal protein. This is insanity. Or um, education. Someone looks around and sees that, yes, many schools teach their children to be separate. So it's, a, it's a, an actual alienation process, an alienating process. Some schools, not every school. But yes, this is quite pervasive the child learns to separate itself from its parents by going to school. Someone looks at that and says, well, this isn't, this isn't good. Therefore, there should be no education. Not even in the home. You shouldn't educate your child at all. They should just naturally learn. And so suddenly you have kids, 12, 13, 14, 15, who can't even tell time. This is, the, this is the extreme that the ego takes everything from one extreme to the other. Someone discovers that fruit is good for you. Therefore, you have to eat nothing but fruit. One extreme to the other. 
The world does this. It's always hopping back and forth, back and forth. But never does it come to rest in peace. Never does it do the thing. Does it suggest the thing to your mind that would make the issue go away? It makes the issue opposite so that it's just as much of an issue. Someone sees there are too many operations being performed, that some doctors are performing needless operations. So suddenly, all operations are bad. You should never, under any circumstance, have an operation. Why would the ego take such a stand? Because there are some operations that will help some people. And if they can't have them, they will stay preoccupied with their body. Just as preoccupied as they were when they got a needless operation. And so we look at the world. It has no extremes. It has no good. And it has no bad. It is innocent. If it has a good, it has a bad. But no one can decide on what that is. No one can agree on what the good is and what the bad is. And so what do you wish to do as a teacher of God? As someone who has committed himself in his heart to walk home and to reach a hand out and bring those that you can with you, what do you wish to do about all this insanity? See it all as one and as innocent. Do not limit your options from some false ideal. There is no good or bad. Look at operations. Look at exercise. Suddenly jogging's good. It's the good thing. And so people are now jogging insane numbers of miles. Or they go to the other extreme and say, no one on the face of the earth should ever, ever jog. And they stop their car and they ball out joggers. <laughs> the way they used to do with people who were smoking. And so you look at everything. You look at it all. The operations, the medicine, the foods, the places to live, the kinds of friends you can have the kinds of jobs you can have. There's all this silly business going around about spiritual jobs now. No one can agree on what exactly what the spiritual jobs are, but they know they don't have one. <laughs> Read those lovely pam pamphlets by Brother Lawrence and Brother Mandis about washing dishes. Remember I read you that little passage where Brother Lawrence flips the, the flat flapjack over, the pancake over, and realizes that he has been given an opportunity to pray to God, falls on his knees just after flipping the pancake and prays to God. He's so grateful that it takes a little while for the pancake to get brown on that side. <laughs> you need not leave anything out of your spiritual path. Everything can bless you. Everything can be happy. Everything can be. But the ego says, 
unless it leads to money, you're wasting your time. And so now we've gotten ourselves in a place where very few people can do housework very long or child care very long without getting a little irritated and depressed. They just can't do it very long. Why? Because unconsciously they've accepted this thing, if it doesn't lead to money, you're wasting your time. There's something better to do, something more productive. Look at the insanity. Kiss it off. <laughs> Gail and I were meditating this last week one day and John came in the room. He saw us meditating. Did you notice that Peter Rabbit hates peace and quiet? That <laughs> oh, was Bugs Bunny. Excuse me. Bugs Bunny. Not Peter Rabbit. Bugs Bunny. All right. So today, I thought we would get into... <laughs> wait. This is naturally make the body disappear, so we'll take up weight. Yeah. <laughs> now, first of all, you got to realize the world is quite insane on this subject at this point. People have to look svelte from a distance. From a distance, it doesn't seem to bother people that they look anemic close up. <laughs> Why this doesn't bother people, I don't know. As long as from a distance they look felt. But you see, this is an impossible attainment for so many people because they don't have the right bone structure. Their legs are a little too short or their pelvis is a little too wide or their neck's a little too stubby or something like that. And it doesn't matter how much, how many pounds they take off, they're not going to look felt from a distance. And now... There's even the insane notion that your body should contain no adipose at all. Now, you're just going to have to look at this and decide for yourself. You wish to walk home. You don't want your body to be a preoccupation. It's that simple. That's all there is to it. The body is not important. Do whatever allows you to not think of it. The body's not important. Do whatever allows you to not think of it. But do, do, do what allows you to not think of it. There's some doing in that. <clears throat> Everyone here thinks about their body too much. If you would just do a few little things, you wouldn't think about it as much and there would be more room for God, more room for happiness and gentleness. You'd be more sensitive to people who need your help, but you could help. You'd find more ways to delight yourself. And so do what you can do so it won't be as much a preoccupation. And for many, many people, weight happens to be a preoccupation at this time. So I'd like to discuss it a little bit. So there you are looking in the mirror. Now, a few years ago, it was five pounds you need to take off. Now it's 25 pounds. And it has to come off quickly for some reason. And you have to use a new and different diet to take it off. A good friend of mine needed an operation 
It was a transplant operation. Bone transplant operation. And I remember her deciding that she couldn't have just an ordinary doctor and get the ordinary operation, which was had been going on for some time, was very sure. She had to have a special doctor who did a special operation. And she hunted and hunted until she found such a doctor. And it was... And it sounded wonderful because this this special doctor used real bone and not plastic. Well, that's more spiritual. We all know that. The real doctor had her get up on her feet immediately. None of this lying around in bed. Well, that's more spiritual. We all know that. The sooner you get up, the more spiritual you are. And on and on and on and on. The special doctor had thrown out everything that was being done, which happened to be perfectly fine and adequate and successful. Got the new doctor. And of course, the operation was not a success. And so often, this is what happens. You do not need a special anything. And you do not need a special diet. And you do not need a new and spiritual way to take the the weight off. How many friends do you know who are going around looking for some mystical way to take the weight off. It has to be a mantra that takes the weight off, or an affirmation. Why does it have to be an affirmation that takes the weight off? Do you think God really cares about that? What you want is to walk home to your father. You want to know peace. Don't get caught up in this silly nonsense. Just do what you need to do. Do it peacefully and easily. So look at yourself and see, first of all, do you need to take off all this weight that everybody's saying you need to? Or maybe just a few pounds. But let's say that you think you are grossly overweight and you need to take off 100 pounds. Let's just say that you need to do that. It doesn't have to come off all at once. The ego wants to do everything all at once. So you take a few pounds off. And then you see how you feel. So those of you who have been coming to the dispensable church since it started know that this happens to be one of the things that I personally needed to work on and have worked on. So you had a much larger minister in those days. (laughs) By about, I don't know, I don't really know because I haven't, we don't have a scale any longer. I'll talk about that in a minute. But maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe it's much as 70 pounds that you've watched me lose over a period of a, at least two years. So I'm not telling you something that I myself don't try to do. I found that was the best way to do it. Just take a little weight off. Then live with it for a while. Be comfortable about it. Then take a little bit more. Wait, see, I felt. I remember I had a plateau of about, what, maybe 15 or 20 pounds more than I weigh now. Lived with it for several months and finally said, well, I think I'll just drop a little bit more. So what I'm trying to do is see where does the preoccupation end? Not where am I fancy looking. 
where do I feel good? Where am I comfortable? And I seem to be comfortable at this weight, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. But my clothes seem to fit fine and I feel good. But I know, if I look at my ego, that I am not fashionable. My, my waistline is not fashionable. I can pinch more than an inch. <laughs> but I don't go around exposing my waistline. This is not a true issue. Notice even those of you who still do this kind of thing. Notice even those of you who make love, you do not pinch. <laughs> you do not pinch, nor are you pinched. No one measures, take his whips out a tape measure. This is really not the crux of the act. And yet we act as if it is. Or they won't be able to get the job, or we won't find someone who truly loves us. Now just think about that for a moment. You lose three more inches in your waist and you find someone who truly loves you? Does this make any sense at all? But you would, if you look at the ads and, the, and all the talk and the magazine articles, that is exactly what's being said. If you want a companion who will always love you and be your friend, lose 40 pounds. <laughs> So what happens when you really start to sag? Then that person is, if that's why they married you, they're not your friend anymore. You see? Because even if you've taken off the weight, it all goes down to that area eventually anyway. I mean, so. Okay. <laughs> Our bodies are like a candle in too hot of a room. And that's just simply the way it is, people. <laughs> Next. You've looked at your body. You're going to take this thing calmly. Now, the next thing you might do is just give yourself lots of options. Lots and lots and lots of options. Just list options to yourself. What are all the things you could do? Don't rule out diet centers. Why rule out di why rule out Weight Watchers? Why rule out any of those things? Why rule out uh, what's the anonymous one? Overeaters, Overeaters Anonymous. Why? Why rule that out? Oftentimes, it's good to get help. Why do we have to do everything alone when we're trying to learn that we are one? When you're trying to, when you're trying to learn that you are one with your brothers and sisters, why is it more spiritual to do it by yourself? Isn't this ego insanity? Can't you see the workings of Edgar, the higher ego? And often at a, one of these organizations, you will feel cared for. People will understand. They've been through it too. You see, one of the big problems that we all get into is we set up a pattern of fear and hopelessness in our lives. So this is probably true of 80% of the people sitting here right now. There is in your life a long-standing pattern of fear, and there is a hopelessness about it. There is some aspect of your life that is just festering because you have given up on it. Often that's a good time to get help from people who care, who will delight in your little successes and not 
insists that you do everything at once. So consider that option. Now let's take eating. This is part of the whole thing. Whether you have a weight problem or not, or think you do, and or any of that stuff, you probably have gotten caught up in the present preoccupation with rushing through every meal. There is, there is a tremendous amount of fear at the present about food, just an extraordinary amount of fear about it, and it's, that fear is constantly being fed. And so the ego, of course, the ego's solution is to eat it as quickly as you can so you don't have to think about it. And so the food is being jammed down people's throats. Just go into any restaurant or look at yourself when you eat. It's as if if you were just if you were from another planet and you were looking around, you would think that what everybody had decided was it's always best to do something else while you're eating and to get it over with as fast as you can, especially if you really like it. And so you've decided to eat a whole box of chocolates. Do you sit down in a chair, pick up each one, nibble just a little bit and look at the juicy center? savor its color, and then pop it into your mouth? No! You pick up fistfuls of the chocolate and cram them into your mouth and say, oh, I'm so happy. And you're not happy at all. All you can feel is this horrible feeling of anxiety and guilt. So if you've decided to eat a box of chocolates, sit down. Eat them in peace. Remember, our way home is paved with mistakes. It is one mistake after the other. And so it may, it's better to make the mistake consciously than it is to make it fearfully and unconsciously. Now, a very interesting thing will happen as you sit down and say, okay, I really want to eat this, and you start eating it. You won't eat as much of it because suddenly you'll realize about, what, third of the way through, half the way through the chocolates? You've had all the chocolates you want, and this is what you can't see when you're scared of it. You will not see the point in which you are eating way past your own sense of enjoyment. You are eating chocolates you don't want to eat. You are forcing yourself to eat something you don't want to eat. Literally, forcing yourself. So don't be afraid to eat with sanity. As a matter of fact, one little trick about losing weight is a good thing for anyone to do. When you eat, eat. Your body doesn't understand what's going on. And if you jam food down yourself, it doesn't feel as if it has eaten. It doesn't feel satisfied. It's okay for your body to feel satisfied. Why is it more spiritual for it to feel dissatisfied? So if you will really eat when you eat, if you'll sit down and just eat and look at the food and taste the food and enjoy the food, strangely enough, your body will feel satisfied. It will feel as if it is eaten. And it won't be as hungry. 
and it will slowly begin to tell you what it would like for you to send down there. Hey, up there, we would like some asparagus tips. The, uh, what is it? They've got all these helpers now. What's the helper, John? Weird. Huh? Tuna helper. <laughs> this is not like uh, Save the Whales. <laughs> this is different. <laughs> no more uh, tuna helper, please. A little butter lettuce. Isn't that what it's called? Butter lettuce? That's so nice. With the um, Caesar dressing that has all natural ingredients that you get at the health food store that really tastes good. See? It's okay. This is all right. This is not unspiritual. I have not departed suddenly from the spiritual path in this talk. <laughs> One of the things that I did, one of the many things that I did to lose weight because it was affecting my health, was that I made a list of every food I could eat in peace. Now, I've made this suggestion to some other people, and I have actually gotten the comment, I can eat anything in peace. <laughs> this is what you run into. You know, those of you who long to be counselors. <laughs> You actually run into statements like this. Well, I don't need to become more aware of my thoughts. I know everything I'm thinking. <laughs> um, people, no one is eating everything in peace. And you just simply have to begin looking and seeing that you ingest a certain amount of fear with your food. And this has its effect. It may not have the effect it had on me, which is to gain weight, but I promise you, it has an effect. It may have effect on your muscles in certain parts of your body. It may have effect on your digestion. It may have effect on your mood or on a thousand other things. But it has an effect for you to ingest fear along with the food. And that's why it's not entirely happy. And that's why there is something else. If you'll just look around and not think you have to dive into sacrifice and give up all nightshade plants. You haven't heard that one, huh? Can't eat tomatoes or potatoes or what else is a nightshade plant? Eggplants and so forth. You don't have to do this, people. See, what does a little eggplant do for you? Maybe your system is such that it likes eggplant and you just don't tell anybody that you're doing it. You're a secret eggplant eater. So I made a list of everything I could eat in peace. And then I began working on it. Refined it and refined it and refined it. And Gail, join me in this. You've been doing this now for about two years. This is why I stopped eating meat. It was not because I made some decision that I would be holier than the meat eaters. It's just that I began to notice as I looked at the food that it was, there was a certain sadness. And so there was this little bit of sadness as I, as I ate it, ate the beef. And so I dropped down the, 
the scale of evolution. That's all we're going to do. Everything lives off the death of everything else in this world. That you cannot avoid. And so you go down a step. Well, could I eat just chickens and the smaller fish or something like that, you see? But I'd had too many experiences of, you know, diving and looking at the little fish under the water and grew up with chickens. I happen to like chickens. As I told you, Gail and I have a retirement home for chickens out there. <laughs> and actually, I think I told you Manny did. Actually, it's, I'm, we're the ones. <laughs> Whoever buys our house gets the chickens. <laughs> now, that goes in the contract. <laughs> it's very interesting about these chickens that we've got, though. They are so past their prime, you cannot believe it. And yet, they are so grateful that we have kept them alive that they're still laying eggs like mad out there. <laughs> they don't realize that they can stop laying eggs. We're still going to just let them stay there. <laughs> Throw out the kitchen, the, uh, the chicken scratch and so forth, you see. So I made a decision that I simply would stop eating all meat so that it would not be as, I wouldn't have any conflict about it. Now I don't have to decide anything. This is the simple solution oftentimes. So for some people, of course, it is best for them simply to say, I will never eat any sugar at all because they have such a sense of conflict every time they eat any sugar. So it's best for them simply to say, I won't do that. It's best for some people to say, I will simply never kill an insect because they don't have, they don't have to go through this fight every time. Well, should I kill this insect or only these insects or what? You know. That's why some people only have just two or three possessions. Any, it's all right to do anything. You are free. Walk home in whatever way is the easiest way for you to walk home. And it simply was that was the most peaceful thing for me to do. But it is not an absolute rule. I do eat someone's meat dish if they fixed it for me. At least I do a good job of making think I'm eating it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it's more peaceful for me to do that. Now, I'm not suggesting that at all. That's just an individual solution. I told you it was more peaceful for both Gail and me to stop drinking alcohol at all. Certainly this is not necessary. You're not killing anything. Uh, well, yes, I guess if you go back far enough, something had to be killed to make the alcohol. But um, that's just an individual thing. I could give you other foods that it's, it's more peaceful for me, for me not to eat almonds. But I wouldn't recommend this to anybody else. I just noticed my my body doesn't do real well with almonds. Does fine with cashews. <laughs> so you just look at each thing. Wouldn't you like to have peace with your carrots? It's fine to do that. Okay. What was the... Oh, it was in... Uh, what was the movie in which they were too far back to hear the Sermon on the Mount and someone said, he said, uh, blessed are the cheesemakers. <laughs> so what do you do? Perhaps you do that. Maybe you see what foods you can eat in peace. I'll give you a few other things that are helpful for a lot of people, but not necessarily for you. So getting help 
is helpful. Taking it easy is helpful. I found that not weighing in the morning was helpful because it depressed me and it set the wrong tone for the day. <laughs> so when I was still eating, I, I weighed just every once in a while and at a time during the day in which it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of time left to be depressed about it. I found it was best for me eventually to stop weighing altogether and just use clothes sizes. So I, there was a pair of pants that fit me pretty well, and for a long time, as long as those pants fit me, that was, that was it. Then, as I say, I went ahead and lost a little bit more weight. But that was just fine. Every time I got anxious, I'd just go try on that particular pair of pants, and if they still were okay, then it wasn't any trouble. Because one of the things I found was that my body weight fluctuated during the week regardless of what I did. And this was, you know, I would get scared about it. So I found that helpful. I found it was helpful to watch the fart go down and pierce the rutabaga. <coughs> I watch it come up into my mouth. And as I told you, the little process, the little tongue that goes out there and places the food on the tea. That was all very interesting to me, and I found somehow I need to eat less if I was very, very conscious about every part of the eating. It was just a little trick. It helped a little. It's all right for things to help a little. You do enough things that help a little, and you've been helped a lot. So you don't have to have one magical cure, one thing that's going to do it all. Very often, you are not going to find one thing that will do it all, and your ego knows this, and it's suggesting this approach simply to keep the problem. Drinking water helped a little. So I began drinking more water. There was a period in which I just drank a small glass of water every hour. That helped a little. There was another period after a while when I still had a sugar addiction, and I found that if I would go sit in a chair meditate just a little and have a little water and visualize the water just going all through me and making me peaceful and cleansing me and so forth, that 99 times out of 100, the craving would leave. May help, may not. It helped me just a little. I found it was better for me to fast rather than count calories. So if I truly need to take off some weight, as I did in the very early stages, counting calories was a, one of those another things that was gruesome to me. It was just awful because I was running out of calories all day long. There were fewer and fewer calories. So rather than doing that, I found it's best just to go on a little three-day fast with uh, lemon juice and uh, uh, maple syrup you know, the little lemon juice maple syrup diet where you don't feel hungry. You can have a little vegetable broth anytime you want it. So there's no hunger. And then I would lose the weight and it wouldn't, wouldn't be this daily battle. That was helpful to me. It was a little trick. I'm not suggesting it. I found it helpful not to discuss my progress with other people. Oftentimes, 
you will notice that you have a sense that your problem has been taken from you once you've begun discussing it with other people. It's as if now it's out of your hands. Before it was within you and you could handle it, but now that you've got all these other people involved in the problem, you have a sense of it having been taken from you. It's all right to do this. They will notice. See, And for a while I just said, oh, I, it's the clothes, I got my hair cut or something like that, you know. They were very pleased about that. They didn't actually want to believe that someone had lost weight. <laughs> I found that a little sugar was good. I didn't have such a sense of loss. So every once in a while I would eat a little sugar in a form that wasn't scary. Chocolate was a little scary for me. But I found that the little maple sugar candies, if I had a real craving and nothing else worked, it was best for me to have a little sugar because otherwise I would try to make up the sugar by overeating. And on and on and on. We could probably turn this meeting over and people could make many, many suggestions. What you want to do is to begin to have a sense that no matter what your problem is, you can work out a program to walk beyond it if you will take your time Try things. Don't be afraid to try something. Maybe it'll work for you, maybe it won't. But begin. Do you wish to walk home or don't you? Do you want this to continue delaying you or is it time that you put this, whatever the this may be, behind you? If so, sit down and look at it. It took a long time to get there. It's all right if it takes a little time to leave. And so the last thing that I did the last thing that I did, but it was indeed helpful, was I supplemented all these other things with a certain amount of mental work. And so it's fine to picture yourself in the shape that you would like to be, in the weight, with the weight, maybe that's a better way to put it, with the weight that you would like to be. Seeing yourself happy. It's fine to even picture yourself going through this process happily, peacefully, taking your time, a little bit of weight coming off and a little, little bit of weight more coming off and just close your eyes and fantasize this or whatever else the problem may be that you're trying to, to walk around. I found it absolutely essential that before I began anything, that I first made sure of my motivation. If you are conflicted about losing weight, you will not lose the weight. And so you might even spend a week with, at say, 20 minutes a day doing nothing but looking in your heart and reminding, yourselves, reminding yourself why you wish to lose this weight. And you'll begin to see, you'll begin to uncover layers of meaning, of reasons, and the reasons will go more to the heart of things. You'll begin to see, ah, this scares my spouse. My spouse thinks I'm setting myself up for high blood pressure, whatever the thing might be. Or I'm, a, I'm an embarrassment to my son. I was an embarrassment to my son, as a matter of fact. <laughs> my older son. I have a 25-year-old son. Um, so, you might, maybe you'll suddenly see, ah, well, this isn't an individual problem. I see this does affect other people. Oh, I would so much like for them not to be worried about this. So you've increased your motivation a little bit. And then you can remember when you weighed a little less and you, and you felt better, you moved more easily. Ah, okay, there's a little bit more, do you see? And pretty soon 
you're not so conflicted. If you just launch right into some new program, the peaceful take-it-as-it-comes program by Hugh, it will not work, people, if you're still conflicted. You must see that this serves your spiritual path. It serves your way home. Unless you incorporate anything into your walk home to God, the chances are it's not going to work. The chances are it's actually going to hinder you. So take it in. Take it into your path. Make it part of your way home. Make it part of your love for Jesus. That is not sacrilegious. Okay, we're, we're beginning to run out of time here. Beginning to run out of time. So, it looks as if next time, maybe we'll talk about illness in general. We'll talk a little bit about catastrophic and life-threatening illness. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about depression. And maybe we'll talk... Oh, I don't know what we'll talk about. We'll talk about some other things. We may, we may carry this on a little bit more, or we may have a question and answer next time. I don't know. But probably we'll carry this on a little bit longer. Now, I'm going to ask you to end with a, a very simple meditation. So if you'll close your eyes... I want you for just a moment to pretend that you have the spiritual vision to see what the peace of God looks like. And it is brilliant. And it is beautiful. And it stretches forever and forever reaching out the arms of tenderness and love, taking in all living things into its heart, into its blessing, so gentle, so harmless, pure, pure, pure joy. So in however way it comes to mind, cast your gaze upon the smile of heaven, the peace of God. Picture it all around you, if you like. Think of it lifting you up right now, if you like. Filling you. Caressing you. You are worthy to be loved. And now, for just a moment, because it would be helpful to do so, look at your body. Look at all the battles you've had with your body. You might stop at the, start at the top of your body. Who here has not had a battle with her hair? It itches or it's too oily or it's not straight enough or it's turning gray too soon or it's falling out or it's whatever it is. And your blessed little forehead and your ears, which keep growing. The older you get, they keep growing. They're sweet. Your nose, how often have you railed against your nose? And your teeth, the source of so much pain and money. <laughs> you see how innocent it all is. But look at it. Look at all these battles. This is your battlefield, your personal hell. 
and it has been that way for a long, long time. Look at what you have done to your body. All the struggles, all the impossible ideals you've set for it, all the goals that it had no chance of reaching. How you've railed against it, pushed it too far. And now look back at the peace of God. Isn't it time that you brought peace to your body, peace to your age, peace to your sex, peace to your height, peace to your race, peace to your constitution, peace to your coloring, peace to all of that? Isn't it time you brought peace to your body? that you let it become your friend, that you just let it be your body, just as it is, with just a little tune-up here and there. Just a few little things that need to be done, which you'll do happily, because you want the peace of God, because you want nothing else but the smile of heaven, the oneness with your Father, Mother, God. We are indeed one with Thee, O Thou Infinite One. We are where Thou art. We are what Thou art. We are because Thou art. <laughs>